of Luke, chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in desolate living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pots that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him, and filled with compassion, he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet and get the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate now his older son was in the field and when he came and approached the house he heard music and dancing he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on he replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have given me never given me even a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours come back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. Then his father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of the Lord, gospel of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, this is time for us to collect some prayer cards and uh, we will pray for them at the end of the service. Uh, I want to introduce you guys to Daniel. Daniel is our, um, our new sound guy that's been working with us for uh, probably five weeks now. 
and uh, I never fully introduced him to you guys. And um, so welcome, he's doing a phenomenal job. And Elsa is sitting in the back, she didn't want me to bring her. Elsa is working with us in the office, working under Pastor Reuben and doing an exceptional job as well. Both of them are on probation <laughs> until May 1st. So welcome them kinda. And then after May 1st, they work on But no, they're doing a great job. So I just want to introduce you. Hey, um, before I begin today, I was wondering if you do me a favor. And, um, and so I'm going to preach my heart out today and something that's close dear to me that I believe the Holy Spirit's going to move, move in me. Because as a pastor, we have to realize that sometimes we can be old white wineskins. And we have to be open to the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit, even if it convicts us. That's when you know you're a good preacher, when you convict yourself. And so, um, so we are a very diverse church. If you look around, racially, we are diverse. Economically, we are very diverse. Uh, socially, we are diverse. We even are diverse in our theology. And I find out in order... For us to be unified together, you have to have diversity. Because with the absence of diversity among us, then we have what's called conformity, right? And we're not called to conform, we're called to be unified together. But when I preach, and this is what I've noticed, we're not diversified. When I preach, we're like an old white church. And what I mean by that, it's like when I preach and I'm hitting something, we go, oh, that's great. Did you hear the pastor? Ooh, don't show any action or emotions to distract. And so I was wondering if we could kind of swing the pendulum today, just today, if we can swing it to an African-American church or a Pentecostal church. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I can get, thank you. So I can get some feet just today. We can go back to the old white church if you want next week. <laughs> but if you agree on something, like, like the Dodgers are probably going to make it to the World Series, then you can say that. Or like, if you, if you disagree with someone, like the Oakland Raiders will make it to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this group. We thank you, Lord, that you put something on my heart that I only need your Holy Spirit to fill me. And I just pray, Lord, that I will be obedient to what you put on my heart. And I pray, Lord, for this church. As we go on this journey of restored in order to restore, and we go on this journey called the Grace Track, we just pray, Lord, that there's, there's any hold in our lives that's holding us back from the grace. We pray, Lord, that we can release it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. I've been a pastor of this church for 20 years. I was an associate pastor for nine years at the Herman Community Church. I was on staff at Brzee Nazarene Church for six years. I spent my high school years at Alhambra Church of Nazarene, my junior high years at San Jose Central uh, Nazarene Church, my elementary and my kindergarten age in Milwaukee Church of Nazarene, and my toddler years was in Seaside, Oregon, Nazarene Church. I grew up in church, and I've noticed that a lot of people in church are what I call grumblers. 
and they grumble. And I've noticed when the grumbling starts, it's usually the ones that have been in church for a long time. That they go, wow, they know it all. Or they're going through something difficulty. And here's my experience, because my understanding as a pastor or being part of a church, that we need to be the reflection of the image of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do. We need to be the example of what Jesus would do, but yet we look like one of the seven dwarfs called Grumpy. And so here's my theory. This is what I'm thinking here, and I put it on the screen. The ego likes certainty about being right, and religion tends to produce such certainty. And so my fragile ego that I'm learning always is in demand to be right. I have to be right. And so therefore, when I get into discussion of people that I love, I've noticed it causes this incredible division because I'm determined to be right in any of these situations, that I've become an expert in whatever we're talking about. And so on the screen, in order for you to be in the right, someone else has to be in the wrong in order to define yourself as a saint. You have to define someone else as a sinner. In order for you to think yourself as being in God's in-group, you must see someone else being in the out-group. You hear me? And so this is where my experience of most grumblers, the mean, the, they're well-meaning. They're dedicated. They love the church. And often they're very dedicated to going to church. And they see people that are not living right, and therefore they want to help that person not living right. They want to fix those people. They want to fix the situation. In some cases, they want to fix my theology. Now, the thing is, as grumblers do drive me crazy, I have to understand this, that I know their well-being. I know they feel very strong in their dogmatic beliefs, and they are faithful to the police. But I also realized that I grew up in, when I grew up in the church and I became a grumbler, and sometimes I do grumble, that I've got to go, where is this coming from? Why am I going through this grumbling here? And therefore, when I'm grumbling, follow me here, then I'm realizing that I'm becoming self-righteous and very judgmental. You know? That all of a sudden I go, oh my goodness, I am very judgmental right now. Now, here's a sign if you're, if you're judgmental. Put it on the screen. If you're grumbling, it means that you are a slave to your ego. In some ways, at that moment, it means you are being self-righteous. Now, the thing is, from one self-righteous to another self-righteous, I know what I'm talking about. I grew up in the church. I lived a good life. I'm the poster child for a saint. But, man... I got some problems there because the ego can really kick in. And so as we go and look at the scriptures this morning in the Old Testament reading, do you remember when you were younger, if you were my age, that uh, Charles and Heston's Ten Commandments came out this time of the year, always around Easter, right? And we didn't have DVRs or VHS or beta things. We had to watch it live Sunday night. So I liked the Ten Commandments. It was a great movie. But the story in Scripture, God finally released these slaves out of Egypt. 
and they were heading to the promised land. And this is where it's interesting to me, because not these, these slaves that were freed from slavery never, never understood what freedom was. They still had, they were free, but they had the slave mentality. They thought that's why they were in the desert for 40 years. And it's fascinating, the original slaves that were freed never were free mentally from that slavery thought. They never made it to the promised land. They died. It was the children of the slaves, the second generation, that understood freedom for the very first time. They understood what it meant to live free. They understood what it meant to have God's provision. Now we look at the New Testament, and I love the New Testament. It's in the gospel. It was a father that had two sons. And follow me here. The father was throwing this lavish banquet, spending the fatted calf. But if you read the scripture and you read it really carefully, you, you realize that both sons had the same mentality, and that is a slave. It's fascinating to me. Because they could not enjoy this lavish party. They couldn't do it. In fact, Jesus was telling this story. This is a parable that he was saying. And uh, he, he's telling this story to who? He was telling this story to religious <laughs> uh, Pharisees that were self-righteous and grumbling. And so he went in and told all these stories that have a common theme. And all the theme is about God's grace. Because they didn't understand. Because them, they had this mentality that they could not realize and embrace grace. But the prodigal son is a fascinating story because when Jesus is telling the story, and remind you, it's a story. It's not a real, it didn't really happen. But he pulls the characters out in the stories to describe who God is. Now follow me. It's on the screen. The father is known as God. The younger son is known as the sinner. The older son is known as the saint. Now, I'm in that saint, saint category. In this prodigal story, there are two sons that represent these categories, and both sons are constantly asking about themselves. And I put it on the screen, is basically, what am I worth? Now, a lot of us deal with this, and a lot of us this question, what am I worth? in my family? What am I worth in, at my job? What am I worth at the church? What am I worth? And our motivation in life sometimes can be just that. What am I worth? The younger son hit the rock bottom here because you should see his attitude towards his self-worth at this time, his mentality. It says this, and follow me in Scripture. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer, get this, deserve to be called your son. Take me as one of your hired hands. What did he see himself as? A slave. He did not even see, he could not fathom that that's my dad. He could not fathom that's my father. And so, therefore, this guy was a total brat. He probably was the most narcissistic, total brat, self-centered, uh, egotistical decision-making that anyone can do. He screwed his dad up big time. 
In fact, he did all kinds of stuff that just not, was not worthy of his dad. And so he no longer wanted to be called a son. But the best that he could think of, that I'm going to be a slave. That's the best thing he could think of. He did not understand redemption. He didn't understand forgiveness. And so that's what he thought it was worth. And then I look at the older son. The older son is like me. Done everything right. Done everything what he wanted to do. In fact, if you remember when he was ticked off his dad, he said, I have been working like a slave. You see the older son mentality? The same thing. Follow me. This is his older son. The older son was furious and didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. And he answered his father, look, I've served you all these years and I never disobeyed your instructions. Yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son, I can see the attitude, but when this son of yours returns, you gobbling up your state with prostitutes, man, he threw his sins right at him, didn't he? He just threw his sins. You slaughtered this fattened calf for him. You see the slave mentality? You see that sainthood mentality? That basically he just says, you know what? It's not fair. Because he did not live by grace himself. So he couldn't understand why the Father was giving him grace. He'd done everything right. He felt he was deserved. He felt he was a good son. And guess what? He began to grumble. Fascinating to me. When I go back into why people in the church grumble. See, follow me on the screen. He grumbled about his brother's sin and his father's grace. Totally oblivious to his own sin of pride and lack of grace. We tend to transfer these ideas about earning our worth and the world of spirituality and religion to sinners and saints. Somehow we are separated. Okay, let's have the sinners over here and let's have the saints over here. Because we as a church, a body of Christ, have learned to separate those two. And here's the sad thing. Church in the United States has become a hangout center for saints. Sinners don't come. They're not welcome. They're not wanting to come. So we have America that's full of so-called hangouts for saints. And because the sinners will not come to church because they're afraid to be judged. You hear me? But see, both the younger son and the older son were in what we call the slave mentality. The younger son felt that he was not good enough and did not deserve what his father was willing to offer him, but the older son could not understand why his faithful obedience was not enough to earn some reward from the father. This is why sometimes when we pray and saints get ticked off when there's no answered prayer, they get mad at God. That's a pretty sign that you have the saint mentality. You know, that you get frustrated. And so here's what is fascinating. The story, it's on the screen, destroys our typical thinking about what makes us accept, acceptable to God. It destroys our slave mentality, which is good or bad status based on what we do and not who we are. 
Therefore, some of us get stuck in the same mentality that there's no way the, the living God, the Father, could forgive for what I've done in my life. That you, I've had people say, Kevin, you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea. And I would love to say, you have no idea about the grace of God. You have no idea. And then you got the saints, me, that are stuck in their accomplishments, that are stuck in saying, look what I've done, look what I've done, look what I've earned. I've been ordained this long. I've been to church this long. So therefore, please validate me. Please validate that I've been the good person. I want to be recognized as that I've been right with God. And so we point out other people's shame. And if they're not feeling shame, we'll give them a reason to feel shame. Because they're not like us. Shame, the sinner. Pride, the saint. They're both motivated by fear. Because the, the saint is working so hard for perfectionist. Perfection. He's working so hard not to lose his salvation. He's working so hard to keep God happy. And so therefore, we need to transition our, our slave mentality to what I call grace mentality. All of us. Because we all fall short of the glory of God. No saint <laughs> and sinner, we're all the same. Now I think the reason the saints and the people in the church that have been in church for a long time they feel like they're experts. They know how to do church. They know how to speak the language. They know that Christianese talk. Instead of saying you're happy, now I'm blessed. Praise the God. He's risen. He's risen me. <laughs> you, got, you got a sinner going, what language is that? That's Christian bonics. That's what that's called. <laughs> okay, you don't understand. It doesn't make sense, but it makes sense to them. And so we become these experts. So the more expert we become, the less need that we need for grace. Because our walk, we, we think we know it. And so therefore, the sinners, we think we know a lot. We interpret, we want people to talk like us, interpret the Bible like us. We want people to be just like us. We want, hey, what is a Christian? Look at me. Just follow me. I am the prime example of what you need to be. But here, sometimes it's fascinating. I've had grumblers that come up to me and said, Kevin, you've been very soft on sins. Why don't you do altar calls as much? And I don't do them much. And, and the thing is, they want sinners to stop sinning. But here's the thing. I don't see Jesus, now follow me on this, being hard on so-called sinners, but I see him being so hard on saints. I see him being hard on the religious people. See, the thing is, I do see him on grumble. I've had people come up to me and say, Kevin, do you know the scripture? Yeah, and I say no. And, and, and basically they go, it says... Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone answers them, then I shall enter, right? That's, saints have made that scripture into for sinners. 
that scripture, my limited knowledge of the Bible, is basically to the seven churches. That's Jesus knocking on the door of the church. So when you're having church, let me in. And so then he goes into the thing, I don't like hot and cold, I don't like Luke. I mean, hot and cold, but I don't like Luke. He gets it. He's talking to the church. And so this is where, I think this is why. Follow me. We don't need to be punished for our sins because we are punished by our sins. Sinners already usually are aware of their sin and their need for grace. They are just waiting for someone to come along and offer them grace. Rather than judgment, they are so used to getting. Sinners struggle with this of guilt, of shame, of judgment all the time. You know, I've had people just say, look, you may judge me, but I judge myself ten times worse than you could ever judge me. I struggle with tremendous amounts of shame, tremendous amounts of guilt. And then I talk to the saints, and they're doing the same thing. They're struggling with guilt. They're struggling with shame. They're struggling with areas in their lives. But yet, they're projecting this perfect life because this is what they think they need. But yet, they're so isolated and lonely. This gives us a perfect illustration of what grace is all about here. Because this is what the father said to his older son. This is what the father says to Kevin all the time. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost, but now he's found. This is a total radical grace. In fact, it's interesting, it continues on the screen, the father refused to see his sons the way they saw themselves. They saw themselves as slaves. The younger sons saw himself as a slave who had to earn back his father's favor because of his terrible behavior. The older son was resentful that he had been faithful, slaving away all these years for his father and had a sense of pride and entitlement. But the father reminded them of who they were. They were not slaves. They were beloved sons. And let's not forget the invitation. It was a party. To me, they probably played Cool in the Gang, Celebrate. I don't know. You know, I love that song. But the father is a representation of God. He did this huge party for both sons to come, the saint and the sinner, to come and celebrate under one tent. That's what grace is. Not something we earn on our way. That's something that we something that we're given. Back on the screen. God knows that all of us sin and fall short. It doesn't matter if you're a sinner or a saint. The truth of the matter is that we are all mysterious mixed of both. That's why the whole world needs grace and God gave it to us. Follow me. First John. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. Scripture tells us, and it's on the screen, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. This is what is interesting. God does not count our sins, but the saints do. 
saints do. God does it. The saints do. And though they will pull things up that you try to move on and forget. This is why we have a tendency to play the slave game. The slave mentality. Jesus didn't do all this as a cross. He opened up his heart and he had the grace mentality. Follow me. It is God's loving kindness that's put on display in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The cross shows us that God would rather die than to have to keep counting our sins against us. And when we begin to trust this huge grace of God's giving to us in Jesus, we begin to have grace mentality which changes everything about us. A lot of the saints believe, yeah, if you teach so much in grace, you're teaching, you can do anything and don't worry about it, you'll be forgiven. That's not the true meaning of grace. The true meaning of grace is transformational power in us to move beyond our brokenness and to be healed. Back on the screen. If we begin to speak the good news of God's grace with our lives and not just with our words, questionable people who tend to make saints grumble will start to show up. Why? Because they believe that we might actually be serious about what we say we believe. Do you notice the father in the prodigal son story didn't say anything to his younger son. The repentance came from the younger son. He knew it. He didn't have to be told that he was a sinner. He didn't have to be told that he messed up. He knew it. The father didn't say a thing. Just embraced him and told him, welcome home. You see, there's no guilt. There was no shame. The father was awesome. You know, why, why this is so dear to me and close to me is I take a, a workshop in our denomination our workshop was about the LGBTQ community. 80% of them, 80, grew up in the church. 70% want to come back. But they don't. It's the same. It's the same. The Lord gave me a vision, and I don't know, you know, I, 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 I'm very careful about that, because sometimes we say God did this, and so he, it's like the ace card and playing poker, I guess. But I was sitting right there yesterday, and I had this vision. What would happen if 20 saints were standing here, 20 people that screwed everything up in their lives, 30 LGBTQ here, as a choir, as one, singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Do you think the movement of the Holy Spirit will be moving so rapidly in our world today 
when we realize we got to get off our saint pedestal and we got to get off our, our lowness of sinners and realize that we're all broken? That song was written 200 plus years ago. I get this. He struggled in his childhood. The guy that wrote this was a slave trader in boats from going from South Africa to England. He says he was terrible to those slaves, but he understood grace. And there was a time in his life that his slave mentality, his sainthood mentality, went into grace mentality. And if you read history in 1806 or 18-something, that he was one of the people that stopped the slave trade from South Africa to the United States, and he became a priest. This is a song of comfort. We're not, Al Johnson didn't come up to you and say, let's get on saint track. What is that, not saint track? Um, no, was it, are you sure it was grace track? Because I thought it was saint track. Oh, no, it wasn't. He gets so upset. I say track. Ruben says track, track. Grace track. It's not sinner track. It's not self-righteous track. It's grace. This is what this church will be. And so I asked Taryn if she can come forward and just play Amazing Grace. And if you're struggling, because I've been accused for not doing altar calls, let me do one. But it's not going to be for the sinners. It's going to be for the saints. It's going to be the people that have broken, that get in the way of people with their self-righteousness that can't come And if you're a sinner, and if you know that you've been struggling with shame, I want to move you to the grace mentality. I want the saints and the sinners to be one, to have the grace. And so I asked, if you don't mind as we sing this song, if you want me to pray over you, that you will embrace the grace to come forth. Let go of your shame or let go of your pride. Because this church will focus on restored in order to restore. We will have a church in the next few years that are going, who opened the doors for this group? Jesus.